Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rupert. And I am Steve McDonough. But I Digest is a podcast where we are going to take a food and we are going to look at it in kind of a geeky, historical way. And then we are just going to talk smack and kind of wander around and look at some of the odder parts of the story. And geeky with a capital G, I have to add, because uh, between the two of us, there's some some geeking happen from time to time here. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, hey, easy. I, <laughs> I'm not. I don't consider myself a geek at all. Don't don't pull me down with you. Well, maybe I guess you know. I grew up in North Georgia in a little town called Jasper, and we had kind of a couple options. You could be a FFA, which is Future Farmers of America. You could be a jock. Or you could be kind of the geek slash nerd D and D you know guy, and that was I fell into the the farther category there of being a bit. Oh, of you geek. totally played Dungeons and Dragons, didn't oh, you? So you know, quick aside. Oh, you totally did. Quick, that. quick aside. My my best friend's mom was the high school librarian, and so when everybody else was going to like the pep rallies, Sean and I would go into the library and we would be setting up our D and D campaigns for the weekend. So absolutely, <laughs> I was a D and D nerd. God bless, as we say in Jersey. Yeah. God bless. Two, uh, probably one of two in the entire state at that time. But anyway, but I digest. <laughs> All right. So what what should we talk about today? I mean, I know what we're going to talk about today, but maybe you could share with the listeners, if we have any listeners, share with both of our listeners, please, what <laughs> interests you and tickles your food fantasy? Well, so- Food fantasy? Uh, uh, food uh, fantasy. Well, it could be a fantasy, but that's a different uh, adult uh, theme. Oh, podcast. yeah. Once we tell them what it is, total fantasy. <laughs> so uh, some of you know uh, of the two listeners that uh, I don't have a stomach. I, had, I lost my stomach to stomach cancer. And uh, so there was a long period of time where I wasn't able to physically eat food after, after my surgery. And uh, the first food that I had post-surgery was lime-flavored Jello. And I'm talking like high school cafeteria, hospital cafeteria grade, lime green jello. But it was the most amazing thing in the world after going seven and a half weeks with no food and no liquid to be able to have jello was like the rapture. So Ooh. yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome uh, at the mm -hmm. time. So now I would not put jello on my normal list of amazing foods, but in that context, it really was this amazing thing. So uh, can I get ahead of ourselves and tell oh, you yeah. a little something? Of course. When Mr. Cosby went to jail, guess what he was served at one of his first meals? Oh, uh, yeah. Jello. 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 Yep. As a wow. prisoner, he served jello. Talk about bringing the story around, right? Yeah, we uh, we are getting ahead of ourselves because um, Cosby plays into this, but but we have to go way back in history to talk about uh, you know Jello, which is a, a brand name. It's almost one of those things like when you say I need a Kleenex or I need to go make a Xerox. You know, it's become yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, it's in the culture as a thing, but it really is a goes way back to um, to gelatin, right? So gelatin is the thing, and it's hard to say you know, someone invented gelatin. It's almost like when you say, you know, Columbus discovered America. Well, it was already here. There were already people here. It's just that I guess when somebody first started recording what this kind of jiggly stuff that's left after you do a roast was, um, is now known as gelatin. And the, the first mention of it was in an Englishman's diary. His name was John Evelyn. In 1682, he was describing the results of doing a pressure cooker. So they were actually trying to figure out how to capture that uh, that heat that was being wasted. And so they were doing under pressure. And he's that helped extract some of that extra collagen that is in 
animal bones, right? But I think it had to have been way, way, way before that. In fact, there are traces of gelatin that were found in Egyptian tombs, but of course, no written mention of it. But anybody who's ever messed around in the kitchen that's cooked, even a pork chop, right? And if you've left the pan out on the counter and failed to put it in the dishwasher like you're supposed to, right? The next morning you wake up and you find this layer of fat, usually on the top. And then just below that, there's this really delicious, thick, translucent, gelatinous and gelatinous has bad connotations right doesn't sound delicious it it does not sound delicious gelatinous uh but that's what it is and it's um really a wonderful tool in the kitchen but it is a for the most part uh, in this context uh, an animal byproduct right so really yeah so so that kind of clear jelly type of substance is actually gelatin yeah that's the stuff right i did not Uh, know that yeah and so going way back if somebody wanted to make something with that clear stuff, you had to boil down an animal essentially, right? Or some parts of the animal. It's in it's in skin, it's in hair, it's in bones, it's in nails. It is it is collagen, right? It's also injected into famous people's lips uh, and eyebrows to make them look happier and smilier and, and more youthful. So there was a Frenchman, and I don't want to get too academic because in any of these things, I mean, you could do an entire dissertation on on this. But this uh, this Frenchman named Denis Papin, uh, and he was researching the method of trying to get that substance. Like back in the the uh, early 1700s, he was trying to figure out. Is there a shortcut? Like, I want to be able to get this that has no taste, it has no odor, and it has no color, but it's full of protein. So he was trying to figure out a way to let, how do I remove this glutinous material from the animal? And so his experiments kind of help refine how they extracted that, all of those qualities. And where some people might see that as a negative, right? No taste, no color, no smell, but it also then becomes this wonderful blank canvas for people to create because you have the the somewhat solid, somewhat liquid. It's almost in that kind of, uh, you know, gray area of solid and liquid. Uh, and so you can go in any direction. And uh, many of you, if you're, if you're a celebrity chef fan, I, I actually know a celebrity chef. I, I have a friend, I have a couple of friends that won the next Food Network star back in the- It was a hundred years ago. We, that was when you were still playing D&D. <laughs> Who said I ever stopped? Um, So uh, anyway, but the original celebrity chef was a guy named Marie-Antoine Caramay. And many of you probably have heard of Escoffier. Escoffier, and again, French words and I are are not best friends, but Escoffier was almost 100 years after Caramay. And Caramay was kind of the first uh, guy to catalog and organize all of this French cooking that was going on, right? And as in, in writing a book, you mean? Was he putting it together as a book? He was putting it together as a as a collection, really bigger than a book. It was almost like an encyclopedia, oh, if okay. anybody remembers what an encyclopedia is. But he was, you know, typically French food is thought of as very rich, very meat heavy, but it was also very decorative, right? It was also, you know, kind of labor intensive. And so he was trying to collect all that from all of the regions of French home cooking as well and catalog it and organize it so that people could easily understand it and it would also be preserved for future generations. So he was kind of the guy that um, extrapolated the four mother sauces. And if you're into cooking at all, and I assume you might be if you're listening to this to this show, he was the one that kind of figured out how to branch, almost like when uh, 
uh, where Carl Linnaeus, when he was kind of trying to put all of the animal kingdom into order and phylum, this guy was doing the same for food, trying to figure out a way to organize it. And Escoffier, 100 years later, basically used all of Carame's work to build what we now know of as modern French cuisine. And in French cuisine, there's a lot of use of gelées, which is basically these gelatin-based foods, aspics. Yeah. Yeah. And an aspic, uh, just for quick definition, is basically where you're taking a savory broth. It's either a you know uh, pork or chicken or beef. Uh, typically, it's a it's a consommé or a, a clear broth that they're using as the liquid with the gelatin to make these wonderful congealed salads. I guess for lack of a better word, um, but oftentimes you'll see them on as a top layer on a pate as well. Um, yeah. But it yeah. really kind of revolutionized. I always throw that away. Do you really? I always throw that. I do. I always throw it away. Do you eat it? That that well, layer on top of the. It really uh, depends on what it is. Now, when I was a kid, and you open the little can of in Georgia, we call it Vienna sausages. You know, I'm talking <laughs> about those little. But they yeah, really yeah, do yeah. call them Vienna sausages. Oh, Some geez. people eat that jelly, but that to me is going a bit much. Yeah. But on a on a prepared terrine or a or a yeah. pate, sometimes that's flavored with things like ginger or garlic or. Um, so it actually almost is a condiment on top of the pate. So kind of depending oh, on see, what it's used Now it skeeves me a bit. <laughs> it skeeves me as we, as we say again in, in Jersey. It's, I, it's I like that, sir. How do you spell that? Um, wrong every time. That's a little Marx Brothers joke for you. Uh, skeev, S-H-K-W-E-V, I believe. That, I that's think, how I would spell it. It I skeeves me. I'm skeeved. Your evil twin brother would be Skeev McDonough. <laughs> <laughs> That's so that is so pathetic that you know you can do you can you can say that crap with your D and D friends, but here it's a little more mature, a little more sophisticated. All right, so go on with this um this nasty chile on top of my lovely uh, mousse my, my liver pate. Uh, I'm sure you can make a mousse liver pate as well. Uh, so anyway, the, all of this was very labor intensive to to get that quality. You basically had to do this all day or even overnight, boiling down or pressure cooking out of bones, right? So this industrialist slash inventor slash philanthropist guy named Peter Cooper, he was the first to create a powdered gelatin, which he called portable gelatin, which I love the fact that prior to that, you know, it was not portable. You had to bring the whole kitchen with you. Couldn't have, you couldn't make gelatin on the fly. Right. So he made a portable uh, gelatin, which really kind of revolutionized it for the average everyday home cook that wanted to be able to, to make something. But he was actually not doing that for the cooks. He was interested in making an industrial adhesive product, basically glue. Right? Get out. Yeah. So that oh, was so his... is this like the, the whole like glue from horses, yep. that kind of? I think that's probably where that myth that it came from horse hooves. It's not exclusively from hooves. Although I, at that point, again, I think they were pretty much putting an entire horse in a stock pot and boiling it down for a few days and then skinning off all the bits and thoughts. We're going to need a bigger pot. And a really big uh, strainer. Strainer? I hardly know her. Uh, so anyway, again, not trying to be a, a history class here, but so he's the guy that kind of really kind of got this out of uh, the, an all-day, everyday affair into a powdered product that then Charles Knox, and yeah, I think many of you have heard of uh, Knox, Knox, Knox gelatin. gelatin. I see right? where we're going with this. Yeah. I see. So he was the first one then to package that for home use. And he actually even had door-to-door -door salesmen that were going around showing I hate to say housewives and sound like I'm being sexist, but at the time it really was the housewives that they were housewives uh, that they were trying to uh, present it to. Uh, and so they would go around showing people how to make these aspects and molds and uh, it, molds actually became an, not mold like fungus, right. 
uh, but these decorative tin or metal or aluminum molds, hopefully they weren't lead, but at the time, they, maybe they were, uh, but those started becoming almost like a, a status symbol in homes. People had to have those decorative, you know, flowery things, and it became a part of the kitchen as necessary as, you know, a, uh, a skillet or, or a kettle, right? Everybody had those, those molds. Can you, can, you just, can you just imagine being a door-to-door gelatin salesman? And somebody opens, you know, she opens the door and there you are and you stick your foot in the door so she can't close it and say, I need to talk to you about gelatin, ma'am. Can I please come in your house and can you boil some water? <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that is not probably the best job. No. Um, and if they were clever, they could say, knocks, knocks. Jeez. No. And she could say, get your, get your <laughs> get ass your, back to your, yeah. get your ass back to your car. Oh my God. How, get how your, am I going to do that? Get, get your, your ass, back. ass. Yeah. Get that's your another... ass back out. Hey, your ass back. Yeah. Puns where are you came a, uh, from. Yeah, puns are a, definitely a large aspect of this show. Um, oh, that's a good one. That's a good puns are yeah. a good aspect of the show. Okay, listen, if you guys have better puns, and I'm sure, I'm sure you do, because the bar is low. Yep. Feel free to like put them on our Facebook page. Tell us, uh, tell us how we can be how we can be funnier. Yeah, we that, we, we definitely need uh, any uh, recommendations there. But so <laughs> that was done in 1894, and I only mentioned that date that Charles Knox developed this pre-granulated gelatin. I mentioned 1894. Because in 1895, which by my math is one year later, uh, someone named Pearl B. Waite came along in Leroy or Leroy, New York, I guess, depending on what part of the town you're from. He was having some business troubles and he was a cough syrup manufacturer of Pearl. No, Pearl was a he, by the way, it's not, not a she. I think of Pearl, again, not being sexist, but that's a cool name regardless. I did, but I've never met a Mr. Pearl so, oh, you are uh, you are so far away from this story right now. Can you circle oh, okay, back? Yeah. Circle back. So Pearl Waite decided to give up the cough syrup business and branch out into the food industry based kind of on Charles Knox's, uh, I guess you would call it his template that he was doing. And he wanted to get his into the gelatinous business. vision. His, there we go. He's very, he had a wiggly, uh, vague uh, notion of what he wanted to do. So he and his wife, May, experimented with adding some of the fruit syrups that they were using in their cough syrup manufacturing business to gelatin. And guess what color and flavors they were? You know, they were the ubiquitous orange and strawberry and lemon and raspberry. So they had these syrups already and they were adding it then to gelatin with the sugar already inside. So it became this sort of one packet easy product to that folks could uh, you know could make a quick dessert on the fly with these this powdered animal <laughs> substance i don't think huh. that was the selling point i don't think they the, the door-to-door salespeople probably didn't mention the animal parts uh, at the time but that kind of takes its own so we think again of jello as being this amazing thing it was um Pearl's wife, May, that came up with the name of Jell-O to try to kind of make it exciting. It seems like anything with an O on the end at that time uh, in the in the you know, early 1900s, whammo or bingo, like O was a selling point. Steve-O. Uh, Steve-O. So that um, once it made that transition, it was it was that kind of marriage of a cough syrup manufacturer having those fruit syrups on hand, mixing it with the powdered gelatin that really laid the foundation for becoming America's favorite dessert. Very interesting. Well done. Well wrapped up. So then I can tell you a little bit more about uh, Jello, shall I? Oh, I think you should. Should we go meandering down the wrong path now? So as you said, Jell-O is super 
popular, right? People are eating a lot of Jello. But around the 1970s, their sales dropped off. People weren't making it so much. So in about 77, General Foods hired a new vice president of marketing. His name was uh, Dana Joya. And they got him to try to minimize the decline in the Jell-O uh, line sales. So Joya was actually a poet and he was writing literary criticism, but he, <laughs> he hid it from General Foods. He didn't want them to know because he, and his, here's a quote, felt it wouldn't do me any good in the business world to be known as a poet. But in 1980, I love that. I think that should be his first line on his resume. <laughs> so he's hiding it. He's working for Jell-O, but he's not telling anybody he's a poet. Because I mean, really, what rhymes with Jell-O? <laughs> I mean, I guess, hello. Hello, uh, Jell-O. Any, anything ending in an O, but okay. Uh, anything ending in an O. And so in 1984, Esquire magazine told, that, told him that they were going to include him in their list of men and women under 40 who are changing the nation. So Joy is like, oh, damn. See, now I'm not, I'm not out at work, so I really don't want you to run this. And they said, well, it doesn't really matter because we're going to run this article anyway. So the people at General Foods are pretty shocked. And here's his other quote, especially my boss, who was an Annapolis graduate, who'd been an All-American in two sports and a commanding officer in combat. So when he heard the rumor that I wrote poetry, he called me into his office and asked me if it was true. When I reluctantly conceded that it was, his only response was, shit. Shit-o. <laughs> God, what, so, what, what a weird thing to have to hide that oh do you write poetry how dare you isn't that great oh, i love it so um what they did was they found that mothers with young children weren't really fans of the purchase jello anymore so Gen general foods is trying to figure out along with joya how they could promote these gelatin based desserts by linking family and family life and home-produced desserts try to capture that market. So Joya and his team, they invented Jell-O Jigglers. Do you remember Jigglers? I, uh, I used to dance under that name. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, uh, in, in all fairness, I haven't jiggled in a long time. Uh, but yes, I do remember Jigglers. And they even had a special little, like you could send away to get a, uh, like the a molds, tray. The mini, yeah, the, molds, yeah, the exactly. cuts, the cutouts. Uh, my kids love Jigglers. That's, uh, that was a big yeah. deal in our house. Well, the whole thing about it is, is first of all, it was great for Jello because a Jiggler uses four times the amount of Jello. That sounds so, like an, hello, an, an hello addiction sales. problems. Yeah, though. Right. I need four so, times and it's as much. great. Four times. And it's uh, they're able to pick it up with small fingers. So it's kind of a win-win and it really takes off. And side note, Joya later was chosen by George uh, W. Bush to head up the National Endowment for the Arts. Wow. That's Isn't a, that funny? That is a weird... Well, you think it was based on his uh, jiggler success there? Or? <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what, because now, now he's, you know, he headed up that national national agency, and now he's back to being a full-time poet and literary critic. If you go to his website, he doesn't even mention the jigglers. Well, he's got all, his whole bio, and he leaves out jigglers. God, I think we need to go into the bio writing business, because uh, it, callback... In our yeah. last episode, we were yeah. talking about August Zhang, who yeah. kind of you know made the the croissant what it is today, and there's no mention of that in his. Uh, obituary. He didn't want anybody to know he was a baker. Yeah, is there yeah. is there is there some shame in the food industry that we don't know about? I just love a guy who can't come out at work as a as a poet. <laughs> so. 1997, uh, General Foods is celebrating the 100th anniversary of Jell-O. So they released the numbers. Where are people eating Jell-O? And where do you think the number one most consumed per capita place was for Jell-O? 
1997. Well, uh, to be incredibly specific, I would say hospitals, <laughs> but uh, but by uh, state, no. I don't know. By state, well, Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. Have you? Uh, there's there's a definite connection between Mormons and Jello. I I don't even I can't even make Listen, that connection. Listen, they 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 can't they can't smoke, they can't have alcohol, they can't have caffeine. Could you give just get, cut them some slack? Let them have the jello. Also, because this is now working, this whole uh, the focus that they have on family life and connecting this, the wholesomeness of it. Of course, ah. you know, the Mormons are like, hey, you know what? There is much worse stereotypes than to be thought of as wholesome family loving people. So the Mormons, they're um, and Salt Lake City is number one in 1997. But two years later, Des Moines took over as number one. But you know what? Too late. That the association had already stuck in Utah. In fact, in 2001, the Utah State Rep, Leonard N. Blackham, he introduced State Resolution 5, which was a resolution urging Jell-O recognition. More than 14,000 signatures, Jell-O became the official state snack of Utah. There is a statewide Jell-O week, the second full week in February. And then they named Bill Cosby an honorary Utah citizen. I wonder if they have like uh, in-home competitions between all of the wives in one household to see who becomes Jello wife number one. That's Mormonism, right? No. Don't they have? Yes, 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 yes. Not only was single my ass, not only was he married, but he had six wives. One of them Mormons, you know, what's that from? I don't know. What's that that from? I don't know. Is that single um, my ass? Is that Book of Mormon? No. Come on. All right. All right. It's time for it's time for uh, I'm going to just talk directly to editor Nat- Natalie. Natalie, I would like you to find me a little drum roll and then a symbol. You don't even have to cut this out. OK, here we go. Natalie, a little drum roll. Here we go. It's time for Stomp the Straight Guy. <laughs> How did that sound? Do we have a good drum roll? I crashed there. OK, I love it. So single my ass. No, I don't know. It's from uh, it's from a Broadway musical. The song itself is called Cell Block Tango. Still lost me. Stump the straight guy. Okay, everybody, listen. This is what I want you to do. Go to the Facebook page, uh, But I Digest Pod, and uh, tell us what the answer is to it. And it doesn't matter. Somebody else had already answered. You can you put your answer in there too, goddammit, and you get your credit. <laughs> I will read it. I will give you a thumbs up. You tell us all what that is. Or not, you don't have to tell me. Tell the, tell the, tell the straight guy in the other microphone what that show is. That's pathetic, huh? Well, and then somebody invite me to that show. And then when, uh, when we can go to a Broadway show, I would love to see that, assuming they still do that. I believe it's still open. I believe okay. it's still running. It might be the longest running at this point. I think it beat Cats, if I'm not mistaken. But I bet you anything, somebody's going to uh, correct me on that. I thought that's going to be for sure an email from somebody. I've okay, seen, so anyway. I've seen Cats, I've seen um, uh, Les Mis, and I've seen Matilda. I think that's pretty much my... Uh, my... Yeah, this is from Matilda. Oh, okay. <laughs> you guessed it. No, is it really? Matilda. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> okay, so anyway, Jello was welcoming the connection with the Mormons, the family wholesomeness, as opposed to, you know, Jello wrestling and oh, the college the frat parties and the Jello shots. Oh, yeah. So it's working for both the Mormons and for Jello. And like I said, the stereotypes, this isn't a negative one, but really it's kind of backwards because it's not really a product of the Mormons culture as much as it is a product of targeted Jello advertising and marketing. Yeah, they even had like the Jello girl, if I remember correctly. Like in the in the early 1900s, they had this almost an, angelic little little wholesome 
jello girl that was meant to kind of represent sort of purity and family values. And uh, so, yeah, I could totally see that being a, an offshoot of that marketing campaign. Jiggly Caliente. <laughs> you don't know who that is, do you? No, I don't. But it it's time great. for Stomp the Straight Guy. Oh, we got an offshoot podcast coming here, I think. <laughs> Jiggly Caliente. I'm going to leave you. I'm not even going to tell you what that is. Okay. So how popular is Jello and how connected is it to the Mormons? Well, the Olympics come around in 2002. And you know, the Olympic pins, people get, people oh, collect yeah. these little Olympic pins and they've got tons of different kinds of them. In fact, for the Olympics in uh, Salt Lake, there were 4,200 individual official designs for the Salt Lake Olympics. There, you know, the people are selling them on the sidewalk for seven bucks to 15 bucks, and they're saying it's a limited edition. It's going to be worth a lot of money. Spoiler alert, they're still not worth a lot of nope. money. Nope. I still have some Atlanta ones from 1996, which I think is kind of where that pin thing got. That some is when you good for you. Yes, oh, that's right. That's a straight guy trivia that apparently I know, but uh, <laughs> but also I I happen to be within uh, within you know cat swing of uh, of Atlanta. That's kind of my backyard. So I I do remember that bit of frenzy and limited edition became this term that was on everything. Every t-shirt, every hat was limited edition. So. Yeah, and they're all they're all on eBay now for for a song. So the most popular pin, the most sought after pin in the 2002 Olympics was green jello. A green jello Olympics Salt Lake City pin was the most popular pin. So there you go. There's there's that connection with Utah, which yeah, I love. that's right. So that led me down this interesting rabbit hole. What other food Olympic pins were popular that year? And it turns out there's a ton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a ton. They've got let me see. They've got red fruit punch. That's a big thing in that part of the part of the country. And fruit cake, Betty Crocker cake, and hamburger helper, which of course, fits in again with those ready-made packaged foods, the idea of that, that you can easily put together. Um, there are s'mores and chocolate chip cookies, uh, Ziploc bags of Cheerios, because with the Mormon um, culture, the whole family goes to church. You know, generally you'll separate the kids, they'll go to Sunday school, oh, okay. or yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole family sits there. So there's uh, a, a big need to try to keep the kids occupied for that time. So a uh, Ziploc bag of Cheerios. And um, another one of my favorite was a bologna sandwich. Guess what uh, slogan was written on the bologna sandwich? Oh, man. I feel like there's a pun coming up here, but I, I can't, uh, I don't know, I can't predict it. It said, mmm, bologna. <laughs> How, why do mm, we call it bologna. bologna anyway? How do we get, that's another podcast. Put a, but... put a pin in it, put a pin in it. We'll yeah, get to bologna. That's All right. So uh, here's my three top favorites. Funeral potatoes. You know what funeral potatoes are? Uh, no, I do not. All right. So the Mormons, huge families, right? Lots of kids. So every every weekend, you're bound to have a funeral or a baby shower or a wedding or some kind of family get together and a lot of potlucks. So they're feeding a lot of kids on a limited budget. So part of the housemaker's goal is to find budget-friendly ways to feed everyone and to bring these foods to potlucks. So often they will turn to foods that have been prepackaged or pre-made and kind of stacking them up together, putting them together. Very Sandra Lee, now that I'm thinking of it. Semi-homemade. Yeah. So funeral potatoes are a combination of cubed potatoes, cream of chicken soup, cheese, sour cream, and topped with cornflakes. That also sounds like quarantine <laughs> food too. Like what do we have in the basement? Carbs. You know? Yep. Carbs, basically, carbs. yeah. Listen, give them a break. No smoking, no caffeine, no alcohol. Give them some carbs. 
and jello. I think I think that yeah, I think they deserve it. In fact, the Mormon leaders still instruct the faithful to maintain pantries full of preserved produce. They should have a three-month supply of food and drink and other items that the church calls emergency preparedness, survival foods to uh, weather the uh, second coming. Well, don't you think Jesus for the second coming is going to bring some snacks? I mean, I imagine the rapture is going to be a bit of a commute if he was omnipotent. Jesus is coming and he's bringing snacks. He's bringing snacks. I would. I mean, that's the least he could do. It's been a long time. It's been a couple thousand years. Bring some snacks. Right. But hopefully funeral potatoes. You know, little cornflakes on the top. Um, Another one, another pin, fry sauce. Do you know what fry sauce is? Well, I have heard of fry sauce, but I uh, I didn't know it was uh, like one thing, I guess. Very big deal. Very big deal in Utah. Very big deal. It uh, started in fast food chain, probably the Arctic Circle in the 1940s is fast food chain. Um, it was a topping that they called pink sauce, and it's used as a French fry dip. And you know what it is? It's just ketchup and mayo oh. on a one to two basis. Okay. So, I mean, Utah-ians, Utahns, whatever, whatever one would call them. They really are into their fry sauce, and why not? I mean, ketchup on fries, mayo on fries. My mother-in-law puts mayo on fries. Why choose? Almost like Thousand Island dressing if all the islands were on vacation. I want to talk to you about a Mormon muffin. Oh, (laughs) I read that book. Which is a name that... Yeah, the Mormon muffin. (laughs) The Mormon muffin. So there is a a place in, in Ogden Valley in Utah called Rainbow Gardens. And they've got a restaurant that used to be a, uh, originally it was a dance hall and a health resort with mineral baths over by Rainbow Falls. So they make this muffin here that people will die for. And I got to tell you, the, they, they very kindly give out the recipe. And I really kind of like to try this. The deal is it's got tons of bran, Kellogg's all bran. And um, it just made me think of... Uh, you know, Kellogg's with the Oh, yeah, the, the Road to resort. Wellville. Do you remember yeah. seeing that movie? I, I, I love the expression, it helps you make. Do you know that expression? <laughs> it helps you make. I like that. Yeah. So, all right. So very- it's got uh, the Mormon muffin, tons of all bran and buttermilk and walnuts. And the family, the King family owns it. And uh, he had said that uh, Bob King, who owns it, said that he got the recipe from Mrs. Parker, who used to take care of his Nana. And he said, Mrs. Parker was a very good Mormon. And my Nana was a very good Mormon. And they did this right across the street from the from the uh, church. So I just love that. I do. Uh, but he says it's hard for people to make it overnight because they don't have the patience. Uh-huh. You, have to li- you have to let it sit overnight, a Mormon muffin. So I have a quiz for you. And this isn't. This doesn't have to be stump the straight man. Just another quiz. <laughs> um, so Mitt Romney is the one who really uh, takes credit for bringing the Olympics to Salt Lake. He worked very hard on that, and he was very anxious to take the credit for it. And he's the very first Olympic executive to approve a series of commemorative pins about himself. Oh, nice. Yeah, He's got nice no hair. Done it before I've I've been accused of having Mitt Romney hair before. You do have good hair. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right. So he's the first one. Which of these pins is not real? Hans, ready? Yep. A, a baseball mitt pin that says mitt happens. B, a likeness of mitt's own head made of canned meat. (laughs) Or C, mitt pulling a bobsled of woodland creatures asking, are we there yet, mitt? Wow. I feel like that the first one is just racy enough with the mitt happens that he would frown on that. It's my favorite of the three, although woodland creatures are pretty awesome. 
Uh, I'm going to go with my final answer. I'm going to go with A. I'm going to say A was not the not the real one. The baseball mitt that says yeah, mitt happens. Because it's, it's like not really very imaginative, yeah, right? A little, yeah, a little edgy. That's a real pin. Oh, man. That's a real pin. Is this the a one... trick question? No, Were all of no. them are real? I thought about doing that. I did not do that <sighs> to you. Uh, there is no pin. Although there is a pin of Mitt's head, there is not one of his head made of canned meat. Uh, it would be hard to, on a pin to know that it was supposed to be canned meat. Yeah, that, there's some uh, logistics problems there. I can see that. But listen, there's he's there's a pin of him with all these woodland creatures. One of him pulling the woodland creatures in a bobsled. <laughs> are we there yet, Mitt? Oh, Mitt, wow. a whole uh, another pin of them wearing party hats, wishing Mitt Happy New Year. As another look, one, of woodland the, creatures look awesome in party hats. I have to say. <laughs> a group of woodland creatures surrounding him uh, with hearts for Valentine's Day that says, "Hey, Mitt, we love you." And the creepiest thing is the final heart is like in the cleft of his chin. They make the cleft out of a out of a heart. That is weird. What what is the connection with woodland creatures? Because Utah is. Not I think that really... was their mascot was a whole bunch of woodland creatures in a bobsled. I don't think of. I've been to Salt Lake City once. I don't think of it as being woodland. I think of Salt Lake City as being this this salty. Dead... Yeah, I don't think of woodland creator creator critters creators critters. Man, I am southern all of a sudden. Uh, um, let me just tell you last my last uh, note on this. All those pins were made in China. Oh, well, good. That uh, keeps the um, makes the embargo and the tariffs that much more important because I know there is a huge demand for those. So I'm sure that was probably part <laughs> of the big uh, negotiation thing is how and where and who and those of us that were smart enough to stockpile them. The value just went way up on our Mitt Romney Woodland Creatures collection. <laughs> OK, let's move on. It is time to do what? Let's eat. Let's eat recipes. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So I used to love to listen to Lake Wobegon Days, the Prairie Home Companion, um, Garrison Keillor on uh, public radio. And there's all sorts of great stuff on there. But one of the things that sort of stuck out in my mind was he was telling a story about these uh, in Minnesota. And I think they're all Lutherans, if memory serves me correct, up in that area. Mm -hmm. yep. they, would, they would use the church almost like a community center. So anything, if you were meeting, you were meeting at the Lutheran church. And they would always make this really strong percolated coffee. And I can, you know what I'm talking about, that you know, silver with a black top kind of percolator that was oh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. every I kitchen, totally right? Yeah, yeah. So they would always have that on the ready. And at the end of the meeting, they would oftentimes be left with this really strong part, you know, partly evaporated leftover coffee. And being the frugal folks that, uh, that the Germanic people are, they didn't want to throw that stuff away. So they would just put it in the refrigerator. And this is pre-iced coffee craze, right? So today we would just pour it over ice and that would be what it is. Yeah, but they would detonate every morning leftover coffee with oh, some uh, powdered, um, you know, that vanilla powdered protein yeah. shake. I make it yeah, a protein yeah. coffee. Well, gelatin is full of protein, and so not too far from that, uh, what they would do then is they would add a little sugar, they would add some gelatin, and they would essentially make this very strong coffee jello. And then for after service on Sunday, they would cut the jello into cubes, uh, and they would do it with a lot of gelatin so that it would be almost like a jiggler. No copyright yeah. infringement intended, but it would be uh, a little more chewy than the kind that would just melt in your mouth, right? It has a little okay. bit of body to it. Yeah. Uh, and so they put that into a into a little uh, serving vessel, and then they would either put whipped cream uh, or Cool Whip, depending on what time of the, of the thing you're talking about. Cool Whip. 
I'm not a fan oh, of the I cool whip, cool but whip. I love whipped cream. Uh, or they would take a little bit of sweetened condensed milk and pour that on top of oh, there too. I love that too. Yeah, yeah. me too. Uh, so you would have this really strong coffee, lightly sweetened with this kind of, you know, however cream evaporated base you want to put it milk, on there. Maybe some evaporated oh, that would milk. be fantastic too. So with that in mind, I, uh, I found a vegetarian slash vegan version uh, because I have a vegetarian in my family. I don't eat a lot of meat. And the, the notion of gelatin does kind of give me the, what was the word? Skeeves? Skeeve, skeeve, skeeve. Me. Uh, skeeves me just a bit. So agar, agar, and no, I didn't stutter. <laughs> agar, sounds like you have a hairball, agar. Uh, but agar is made from a type of red algae. So it is it is a purely vegan form of, I don't want to say gelatin because it's not technically gelatin, but it does have the same effect. In fact, it's much stronger than gelatin. One teaspoon of agar powder is equivalent to eight teaspoons of gelatin powder. So this is really simple. It is, and the, the recipe that I'm using here uses instant coffee granules, just so in case you don't have any Lutherans with leftover coffee around. But you just take two cups of water, you take a tablespoon of a good, high quality instant coffee, uh, the granule kind, you add a two teaspoons of agar. And then it, the recipe calls for three, three teaspoons of sugar, but it's sugar to your liking. Uh, and then you just top it with your favorite evaporated or sweetened condensed milk or a combination of the two. Now in the recipe I'm putting online here, it actually uses uh, coconut milk in case you are vegan, you can, uh, you can adapt this uh, to your liking there. Uh, but as a summertime dessert, it is amazing. And it's got everything you love about coffee. It's got that sort of, you know, kind of earthy roastiness to it. And then the sweetness and creaminess of- Yeah, kind the, of just more intense, yeah. intensely flavored and focused. That sounds good. Maybe, uh, what is what is the, the little uh, cookie you get on an airplane? Oh, Biscoff. Yeah, what what is? Are what, yeah, isn't it called a speck, uh, speck, uh, speculum? Uh, speculus. Speculoos. Okay. Yeah, right. it's, it's a speculoos, not a speculum. Wait. Yeah. Um, anyway, the these these great little coffee jellies that are used in this dessert can also be, if you have a boba strom, you know, the boba yeah, yeah. kind of For fat the, boba tea. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, you can also cut these up into smaller cubes and put them in a uh, your protein shake that you make. You can also use them like boba, and they're delicious in there as well. So, uh, and boba, by the way, is slang for boobs. Um, so they used to be called pearl tea, and then somebody came up with a marketing thing. Let's call them boobs tea. And uh, so there's a little fun free factoid, totally separate from this. But the word boba I, I is slang. I need some time on that one. Yeah. So we've talked. Uh, we've That's... somehow we've we've managed to work in speculum and boobs while talking about gelatin. This coffee dessert boobs. I'm confused. Yeah, All right, I mean so... too. I wanted to do a cocktail, so this was kind of difficult, and not just kind of difficult, very difficult, because you know that I always focus on pre-prohibition cocktails, and how am I going to do something other than jello shots? So in doing my research, I didn't realize it, but uh, there's a man called Jerry Thomas. He is kind of the father of modern mixology. He was the first one to take all of the recipes that bartenders were doing and put them together into one guide so that there would be consistency in cocktails throughout. So Jerry Thomas, his, his book, um, The Bartender's Guide on How to Mix Drinks or uh, The Bon Vivant's Companion. So it was first uh, published in 1862. He has kind of a jello shot thing in there. And when I found it, I'm like, brilliant. I can, all the things that I want are put together. <laughs> his is, um, they'll, he'll take like three dozen lemons and uh, peel them and then make an uh, oleosaccharum from that, which is where you take sugar and you put it into the rinds and the sugar draws all the essential oils out. So you have this, you know, wonderful, oozy, lemony sugar. And then what he would use, he would he put in 
lemons as well, obviously, reserve the juice and use a dark rum and brandy. Now his uh, gelatinizing agent, gelatinizing agent was Isenglass. I've heard of that. And so in my research, I came across that uh, quite a bit, but uh, give us a quick, what's an Isenglass? Yeah, it's gas. It's a, uh, the gas bladders of fish. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. Right? Does yeah. that not sound? That's that's what I want in my cocktail. Gas bladder of fish, like surgeon. So um, it's what fish use to control their buoyancy. So to remove it, do you need a sturgeon surgeon? Oh, for could you <laughs> could you stop? All right. So I thought let me let me take this and make it much easier for people because I would like you to make this, and we're not going to go down a big path. So I thought I'm going to make Jello shots. We'll use the lemon Jello. We'll use dark rum brandy, fresh lemon juice, make some fun jello shots out of that. And it will be a definite nod to the uh, original punch that Jerry Thomas was using. It's, it's a whole section on punches that I won't get into, but this is uh, this was originally kind of a jello-y punch kind of thing. But these are going to be fun jello shots that I will have on our website for people to grab the recipe. What's the polite way to eat a jello shot? And I, I really am asking this seriously because I have I remember being served one at a party and not knowing do I stab it with a fork? Do I do you I mean you just you just shoot it like a shot? Yeah, you just shoot it. And you know what I've never understood people who get wasted on jello shots because there's so very, very little alcohol in them, truly. If you want it to set, it doesn't yeah. have a ton of alcohol in them. So they're just kind of fun. I I I am going to do mine and suggest that other people do it in a silicone mold like an ice cube tray kind of mold, yeah. because then you can pop them out and people aren't left with a plastic cup or a little, uh, you know, a glass that they don't know what to do with. I think if you could pass them around at a party and people can just grab them in there with their fingers, like the Jello Jigglers, the jigglers or maybe yeah. you put them in a little, those little mini cupcake wrappers, papers, you know, yeah, little, something that they can yeah. get rid of easier. And that is, that is my cocktail for the day. I love it. It makes me uh, makes me thirsty and hungry. And I wish now, going back to my initial story about the first thing I got when I was able to consume liquids and foods again, they should have given me a damn Jello shot. Maybe even my medication should have come in a Jello shot. That would have been a much more pleasant experience. I'll hook you up. I'll hook okay. you up. We'll make uh, we'll make some calls. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you. All right, so let me ask you something. Yeah. Are we done here? I think we were done. I had a ton of fun. I uh, I learned a lot. I feel like that we had some quality time. We're done. We're done here. Oh, Oops. no, we're not. Oh. No, we're not. No, we're not. Listen, visit us on our website, butidigestpodcast.com. Go to Facebook. I gave you a whole bunch of things to put on Facebook today, But I Digest Pod. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram, But I Digest Pod. Now we're done here. Sounds good. <laughs>